It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to BWI Live for Wednesday, May 3rd. Holy cow. Fifth month of the year already, Greg Pickle. We are flying by through 2023, which means the fall will be here any minute. We've still got a lot of hot, sweaty days out of camp uh, circuits to go to. But uh, here on the show today, we're going to be talking a lot about what's happening right now in the spring with the transfer portal. And uh, also, we're going to be getting to a wrestling update with our reporter Greg Pickle, who covers Penn State Wrestling. So, Greg, welcome to the show. T. Frank, good to be back. We're two for two on Wednesdays here. That's a good way to start May, and you're right. It's an interesting time of year because it's not completely slow, but it is one of the slower months on the calendar. But as we'll get into, the portal is still humming, even though the spring window is closed. There's some wrestling stuff to talk about. The draft is in the rearview mirror, but guess what? There are a lot of 2024 mock drafts out there already, so plenty to discuss, <laughs> and I know we're going to get into a lot of it, plus uh, probably some of your questions as well. I love this because there's always a different flavor. We we have such a good staff at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com where all spring long, um, they're bringing it hard with Nate Bauer and with Sean Fitz giving you the information, the recaps, the things you need to know. They're getting, a, they're getting a quick break here. They will be back on the show for sure, but then we get to switch things up. We get to talk about a little bit of wrestling. We get to talk a little bit of the NFL draft. Uh, we just got so many things we can do just with the talent on the roster, let alone getting people to come on the show and talk to us. Like If you haven't checked out BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, one of the features we did on Monday is a full Garrett Sexton interview. It is uh, part of our premium content, so to get that full interview, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, sign up right now, get access from now until the start of football season for just $29.99. We'll be getting to other reasons why you should do that here in just a little bit. But uh, the transfer portal is humming here in the spring. It is officially closed for players to put their names in, but that doesn't mean that the news is over because the players that are in there, they can still, uh, they're free to go find a new home. So Penn State has uh, made some new offers. Take us through what you wrote about earlier this week, uh, or I believe today, of the latest offer for Penn State football. Yeah, so first things first, and I think that it's important to know because this confuses people, T. Frank, is that the spring window, and the same as the winter one uh, that all of you remember from earlier this year, it only applies to undergraduates. So grad transfers can go in at any time. And I'm not saying Penn State's going to have a player go into the portal once graduation is in the books, but it's not out of the question. And the first question everyone's going to ask ask is wait a second i thought the portal was closed well that window never shuts for grad gra graduate players so yeah. uh if you see penn state maybe offer someone elsewhere that goes in the portal in the future or you see a penn state guy going the portal in the future it's safe to assume that he is a grad transfer and, and is able to move freely uh unlike the undergraduate window which of course just closed uh at the start of the month here on they closed on sunday night uh penn so state losing quick, yeah go ahead D Frank. quickly as a as a as kind of a a post on the road. When is Penn State graduation? Um, is it is it this coming weekend? It's usually the first full weekend in May, right? 
Yeah, I believe so. That's a good question. Let me pull that up here while we're sitting here chatting. But yes, I believe so. And in a lot of places, yep. and, and including one of the players we're about to talk about as it relates to coming to Penn State, uh, between this weekend and next weekend, we're getting very close to uh, to that commencement schedule. But yeah, it looks like Penn State set for commencement this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, uh, you know, again, obviously, once all the paperwork gets wrapped up, guys at any school, uh, once their graduates can move on, move around, and uh you know, for Penn State, that obviously means somebody will coming here soon uh, from the transfer portal. We, uh, as we understand it, and obviously, uh, you know, you could see some movement as well, and you can see guys in there like a Kevon Lee, like mm-hmm. a Devin Ford, uh, like a Jaden Dotton, uh, finally decide where they want to go. So, yeah, it, it certainly slows down right now, T. Frank, but it doesn't completely stop ever uh, with college football, and the portal is one of the reasons why. Yeah, uh, and this is going to be, and we're going to talk a lot about the portal now at the start of the show, but there's also hot and heavy questions in the BWI mailbag about the portal coming up at the end of the show. Uh, we already have, by the way, we already have David in here. Uh, before the show started, he gave us his question. So David, we see it. We appreciate it. We're going to get it to it at the mailbag, but uh, I love the fact that people are, are fired up and they're ready to go. They want to know more information. Uh, Trey Amos is the latest, yes. commi- uh, the latest player to, um, to get an offer and to visit campus. Uh, he, I believe, made that public. So what can you tell us about that situation at cornerback with Trey Amos? Yeah, so Trey Amos, I got so excited talking about all the uh, the, reg- the legalities, I guess you could say, of the transfer portal <laughs> that I forgot to, <laughs> forgot to dive in on exactly what we were talking about here in the direction we were going. So he has not visited campus yet, but he was just okay, offered by you. Penn State uh, on Tuesday night. And he's a, a cornerback, defensive back from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Uh, eight pass breakups last year that led the team a little more than 30 tackles. And he is the, as our colleagues at the on three news desk wrote on Tuesday night, he is the hottest name in the portal. I mean, I'm just scrolling down his Twitter feed right now. T Frank offers just in the last 24 hours since he went into the portal on Monday. Uh, so I guess that's 48 hours, but Michigan has jumped in Arkansas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Oregon, Auburn, Illinois, Ole Miss, LSU, Michigan State, Miami, Florida. I'm not going to keep reading down the list here, but you know this is a guy who is in all likelihood going to be able to pick his next landing spot as it relates to playing time, as it relates to name, image, and likeness deals, if that is something that's high on his list, and as it relates to being able to play for a contender. So, you know, he's from the Louisiana. Is Penn State going to reel him in? I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, I just think that, You know, when you see these guys get Southern offers who are from the South, who lived in the South, grew up in the South, but didn't get SEC exposure as a high school kid, the, you know, first thought you have when they go into the portal is, well, if SEC schools are coming to offer them, uh, they are probably going to stay in the South. So we'll see. That doesn't have to be the case. Penn State, I'm sure, will work hard uh, to try and set up a visit, but time will tell. But I think more than anything else between this and um, did you guys cover it? I'm sure on the recruiting show on Monday, that division two offer that went out. Uh, if not, no, we, we did not. Discuss, yeah. Okay. So we can discuss that briefly here. Uh, Donovan Callis, he's a division two uh, former all conference player that Penn state offered recently as well. Another cornerback. I mean, again, I think the main takeaway here, regardless of your thoughts on who Penn state's offering and why they're offering them and what chances they have to land them. Like the key is here is that they want it. A storm duck they got a storm duck and then they lost the storm duck so yeah. now they're looking to uh refill that spot in the cornerback room and again i think i wrote it uh this morning in the story about uh you know in the story about the latest transfer portal offer trey amos that penn state should feel still very good about its cornerback room but you look at the numbers 
And it's true for any position, but you're always one injury away from this or one one thing yep. away from that. And, and so I think it makes total sense why Penn State won a storm duck in the first place and why they are trying to add another play at their position now. You know, the biggest problem is that the numbers just aren't the same now as they yep. were in the winter portal window. That's the challenge. And, you know, whether the caliber of players better or worse, that remains to be seen. But, you know, all told, I think that the important thing to keep in mind here is that, you know, this is not exactly the same as the winter window where there were a bunch of guys going in. I don't want to say you could pick and choose your spots, but you could probably a little bit more than now where if you feel like you need somebody and you're kind of teetering on the edge of whether that guy's a take for you or where you think he projects for you. Uh, if you have the room to do it, if you have the the space to do it and you think that guy's going to commit to you, you kind of just got to go for it because you're yeah. just not going to find any other options in all likelihood between now and the start of the season. Uh, after spring pack practice, to me, is, is another critical thing here where you've got to find somebody who fits on a lot of different levels, somebody who maybe has exposure to your system already or something similar. You're not going to be getting a guy that uh, fits from a physical standpoint but doesn't fit from a, hey, we need to teach you everything <laughs> because right. it's May. Like, I just, to start the show, it's, it's May 3rd. Holy cow, right. like there, there's not a ton of time between now and the start of fall camp and then the season. So at a position like cornerback, you're right. When when I was evaluating the positions coming out of spring ball and losing Storm Duck, suddenly you now have a threat of a depth issue where last year you lost Joey Porter Jr., the 32nd pick in the NFL draft. And I would say relatively you didn't miss a beat. You know, Marquise Wilson came in, played pretty well. There were some times that they got beat a little bit more than they maybe would have. But overall, the standard didn't dip because Johnny Dixon was ready. Kalen King was already a breakout player. Now you go a little bit further down the depth chart and there are freshmen. Like it's just it's hard stop freshmen. So bringing in another guy, if you can, obviously is something good for this year. But will that guy be able to contribute and finding a guy that can do that? That's it's very interesting. The guys that they're looking at, because I have a sense these additions have more to do with 2024 at this point than they do 20. 23 because that's at a certain point you got to start looking forward 2023 20, fall unless something amazing happens is going to be kind of set for the year that by the way uh doesn't even include one of the biggest transfer portal announcements that we've had at bluewhiteillustrated.com a great reason to go sign up again for information over there that one is staying behind the message board so as much as i love you guys i can't give you everything here although i do have to say jacob reynolds here in the chat says, added the live show to my work calendar so I wouldn't miss one. Holy cow, that is dedication, my that guy. Is dedication. Thank you so much. I like it. You got to let I us know. know what you put in as that time block, though. Is it like answering emails or, you know, uh, <laughs> muting the computer because Greg's on? Which is it? So let us know what you put in that block. But no, that's great. That is and fantastic. As always, Robert is here. Like the video. We've got a great show for you today. There's a lot of people here uh, watching live. So please like the video because that helps us to spread the good word about the Blue White Illustrated live show and helps us defeat the almighty algorithm. And that's my main job is to defeat that algorithm. So I appreciate you. Uh, quickly here before we get to the next thing, as I'm doing six or seven things at once, I apologize. Um, Dante Cephas, that I think is the next big thing for the Nittany Lions. We talked about uh, graduation, commencement times. Do you have a rough timeline talking about what Penn State is expected to get out of the portal like a late Christmas present? 
Right. So, I mean, at this point, everyone's kind of looking at Dante Cephas, right? Because coming out of spring practice, James Franklin made as crystal clear as he could that they felt like they had two receivers who separated themselves, Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Trey Wallace. And other than that, they need another guy to step up, be it one that's here now or be it a Dante Cephas or be it somebody they could possibly find uh, through the portal, which doesn't seem likely at this point in time. But yeah, you know, Dante Cephas is going to come in with extremely high, maybe even perhaps unfair expectations yep. from Kent State. The school has uh, final exams coming up over the next week, commencements next weekend. So, you know, we would expect to see him on campus somewhat soon here at Penn State as the Nittany Lions get ready for the start of that uh, May semester. And then, of course, the summer semester, which I don't have that academic calendar in front of me. We never have enough tabs open, T. Frank. One day we will, <laughs> but it's not this one. Um, but, yeah, no, we're getting close to the point of him getting here, being able to yeah. get in uh, the weight room with the staff, getting in those player-led workouts with the quarterbacks and the receivers and everything else. And guess what? This goes back to the story that uh, we had on the site recently and that James Franklin really hit on the head uh, over and over again this summer is that he believes his quarterbacks and his offense cannot throw enough this summer. Not the only reason why, but one of those reasons why is Dante Cephas needs to be ready to go by the time preseason camp begins so he should be here soon and then obviously the class of 2023 guys will start trickling in the ones that are left as well over the next month so yeah it's about time that Penn State's able to welcome uh, that group to campus T Frank and you know again this is a very important part of the uh, very important part of the calendar for Penn State for its players because you're not going to get you don't want team news this time of year right Typically, yeah. team news this time of year is bad news. It's supposed to be a quiet time, a building time. Recruiting news, completely different story uh, yeah. for Ryan and Sean. But yeah, if you're talking team news this time of year, normally things are not going in a direction that the program hoped they would. Not always, but more often than not, the only team news you're getting that you might have interest in this time of year is TV Times, which check out BlueIllustrated.com. Ryan's dump some great info behind the board on that uh, for subscribers. But yeah, so Cephas should be here soon. And it's going to be, again, maybe unfair expectations for him out of the gate coming in here with no spring practice. Obviously, we'll have to learn the offense and everything else. I'm sure there were ways that he's been working on that since, uh, you know, since the new year began. But he is going to have to jump right in and be ready to go, T. Frank. We'll have all that information. And, of course, it's some of that will uh, we'll get out here to the live show. We'll be talking about all that stuff during May. We'll have a bunch of fun content for you. Uh, when there isn't news, because as, as of course, as Greg just said, May can be a bit of a slow time of the year, but that's not going to be the case here on the live show because it's not just about the news, Greg. It's about before we roll forward, T Frank. I'll just note that. this: the yeah. uh, before we roll forward, I'll just note this: the uh, classes begin for the first six week session of summer twenty twenty three on May fifteen. So if you're looking for a date to maybe monitor for Dante Cephas, that is what I would keep in mind. Uh, we're going to shift gears here quickly and tell you about our. Uh, sponsor here on the live show on the on the Wednesday live show and that of course is rogueshop.com uh, the longest tenured sponsor of our live content rogueshop.com go right now use the promo code BWI for 10% off at Rogue Shop. If you're new to the show and you want to know what Rogue Shop is, it is a small craft cannabis farm in Wisconsin. Uh, we're doing really well in Wisconsin uh, with with talking about a bunch of commitments, having a bunch of commits moms on the show, and we want to tell you about Rogue Shop in uh, Eau Claire, uh, Wisconsin. They do a great job of educating people on something that 
is was previously not legal but is legal in a lot of different places and if you want to ha- improve your life and they're, they're all about the medicine side of this they're all about the holistic healing part about this and they have a bunch of different ways that you can ingest uh, cbd and thc to help reduce pain inflammation swelling and uh, other issues that go along with chronic disease helping support your life to make your life better that's what they're all about so whether it's salves lip balms bath soaks hemp soaps or hot chocolate they've got a different way for each person to to help them understand what they need and how to help better their lives. I've used the gummies before to help me sleep. That has been excellent, and I have been waiting eagerly for the next batch to show up because I need to sleep. (laughs) Everyone needs to sleep. I really need to sleep because uh, I need to be at the top of my game here on the Wednesday live show so I'm not stuttering and stammering and wondering what the heck is the next thing we're going to be talking about. So, Greg, uh, we're coming back to you to talk about the next thing we're going to be talking about, and that is wrestling. People love it when we talk about wrestling here on the show. And there's uh, uh, the Freestyle Tournament, which uh, came up last week in USA Freestyle. Give us uh, your your reaction on what happened and the significance of it for Penn State Wrestling. Yeah, so I won't bore everyone with the complete details because it's a lot to run down. As you might imagine, Penn State, when it goes to one of these events, does well, as it does at pretty much every event that's wrestling-related, whether it's freestyle or folk style. Uh, But no, this is one of the first big qualifier events related to the world team, the U.S. world team, and who will compete uh, for the U.S. at Worlds, whether it's in the U-17 division, the U-20 division, or the senior division. Uh, The highest one there, of course, is one of the things that will lead to Olympic team trials, uh, which is next year at the Bryce Jordan Center in April, about a year away from now. But two big takeaways for me, and again, Penn State did very well. Numerous commits won U-20 titles, uh, but Aaron Brooks was the champion of the 86-kilogram weight class at the U.S. Open. Why is that important? He has now moved on to what they call Final X, which is the next stop and last stop on the qualifying road to the uh, making the world team that competes in Serbia in September. Why does that matter? He will face reigning, uh, uh, dominating uh, wrestler. You can call him reigning uh, many things. I won't even try and list off all of them here this morning. But uh, David Taylor, the Penn State great, who owns that spot currently. So, uh, you know, I think the interesting thing here is, if Brooks would somehow upset Taylor, now Taylor is going to be the favorite, as you might imagine, in that match. It's nothing against Aaron Brooks. It's just a simple fact of the matter that uh, until somebody, him or anybody else, knocks off David Taylor, uh, calling anyone else the favorite to make the world team, and later uh, the Olympics next year will be, uh, you know, just not not worth anyone's time. But the question here is if Aaron Brooks would somehow pull that off, or even if he doesn't, even if he's so competitive uh, against David Taylor, T. Frank. In the final X competition, which is the best two out of three series uh, to decide of matches to decide who will who represent the U.S. at Worlds, could he decide to say maybe I will take that Olympic redshirt year? Maybe I will, uh, you know, focus on training for the Olympics and another shot at David Taylor uh, ahead of the 2024 Summer Games that are going to be held in Paris, France. So I think that's something to watch as it relates to Penn State's uh, wrestling lineup. We talk so much uh, in the in immediate aftermath of the NCAA postseason about Carter Starachi possibly being the guy, T. Frank, who would take a Olympic redshirt year, the 174-pound NCAA division champ. He was at the U.S. Open, too, uh, lost in the semifinals, and that ended his tournament. Uh, you know, So we'll see what he decides to do as it relates to moving forward here. But, yeah, I mean, again, with Penn State having the transfer portal success we talked about on last week's show, the yeah. lineup's in pretty good shape, but questions most certainly do remain about what things will look like moving forward. 
And the biggest one right now, you got a competition at 125, obviously, but your middle and upper weights, you got talent there, but who's going to fill those spots? Because these are the kind of decisions uh, Kale Sanderson's waiting to make based on the Olympic redshirting decisions his wrestlers make. And a good, and one thing I'll add to that quickly is that, like I said, I don't want to get into all of the uh, nuts and bolts of the results. You can read them at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. I just don't want to read off names to everyone. I don't think that's very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, as lists it relates, of names are not my favorite. No, for sure. No, but as it relates to our lineup conversation for Penn State in 2023-2024, one note, Mitchell Messenbrink, the Cal Baptist transfer uh, who committed to Penn State either a week or two ago. It all runs together now. But he was a U-20 champion at taking the next step toward trying to qualify for Worlds. One interesting note, when he talked to Wisconsin Wrestle and announced his commitment to Penn State, he made very clear that if Kale Sanderson thought and his staff thought it would be best for him to compete at 157 or 165 or take an Olympic redshirt year, he would follow whatever direction Kale Sanderson and the staff had for him. So what does that mean? Obviously, the more success Mitchell Messenbrink has in the freestyle international events, the better or maybe more likely it could be that he takes an Olympic redshirt year. So, you know, a long story short is this Penn State has had a very, very good offseason in terms of talent acquisition uh, ahead of the new season. But despite all of that, uh, the puzzle is still far from solved in terms of where this wrestling lineup will, will go in 2023-2024. It'll be a favorite, of course, uh, to win another Big Ten title, but they are not at the stage where they need to make those decisions, T. Frank, in terms of who's going to redshirt, who's not going to redshirt, who's going to move yeah. here, who's going to move there. Uh, but if you're a wrestling fan and you know, you're know you looking forward to next year, uh, I think the important thing to note is as we get in the summer here, uh, we're going to find out more about what things will look like come the fall and winter. It's a problem to have when you have too many talented wrestlers that are trying to go to the Olympics. So you you know that the, the talent hasn't diminished at Penn State. Uh, last thing here that we'll get to before we move on is Kale Sanderson won a, another award. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so he's the Win Magazine uh, National Coach of the Year, T. Frank. It's the fourth time he's won that honor uh, since he got to Penn State in 2009-2010. I'm not sure anyone is surprised by this. Uh, his team won the national tournament by 55 points he had eight uh or you know it yeah i believe it was eight all americans he had nine qualifiers i believe all eight, eight of the nine that may, were made all americans so when one of those mornings t frank the numbers are just a little fuzzy on everything <laughs> even though they should be obvious but tremendous year tremendous tournament for penn state so kale sanderson winning this honor not a surprise similarly not a surprise was him pivoting to thanking his staff and sharing that the staff, it was a staff award. It was a staff honor. It's not just a coach of the year for him honor. It's a, uh, you know, staff of the year honor, not his words, but kind of paraphrasing what he was getting at. So, you know, he has one of the best staffs in college wrestling. He is one of the best head coaches, well, the best head coach in college wrestling. And I think it's safe to say he has the best staff in college wrestling. So not a surprise that he takes this honor. In fact, the only surprise might be that he hasn't won it more over the course yeah. of his Penn State career. But number four for him. That's the LeBron James treatment, right? Like when we get so bored of the best that we, unless they win the tournament and the championship every year, we'll give it to somebody else just because we're, you know, it, it, it we get bored with greatness at certain points with guys like Kale Sanderson. Let's move on to the NFL draft where we're going to talk uh, at first about 2024. And then we're going to get back to clean up some things in 2023 uh, because everyone loves looking ahead. Everyone loves looking ahead. So let's do that. Let's look at the uh, top picks for next fall. I pulled this from uh, mock draft 
database.com. I think this might've been the site you were talking about last week where you went in and you were looking at all the different permutations. So they've already got a big board for 2024 based on everyone's mock drafts and big boards for the upcoming year. And the names shouldn't surprise you here. Top picks for 2024. Eighth overall on the big board coming into the next season is Olufashinu. Kalen King at 31. Um, Maybe a little lower than I expected, but probably that's more accurate in the outside the Penn State bubble. And then I think entirely too low, but we'll get into why probably Chop Robinson is 60th overall on the big board going into next fall. A couple more players in the hundreds and two hundreds and even five hundreds on the list, but those are the top three guys that have a chance of going in rounds one and two next year. So, Greg, when, when first off, everyone loves the names. We love reading names, but what does this mean to you? Like, what what is it at this point? What does that mean to you as far as guys that are going in next year's draft? Almost nothing. I mean, absolutely, <laughs> almost nothing. Uh, and look, here's why. I mean, again. I love I you know I know you love this stuff I love this stuff yeah. it's great conversation starter it's great uh, uh you know it's a great thing to kick around but you know in the story we, we have over bluewillustrated.com about where Penn State players could go next year based on some of the mock drafts that were out there I refuse to list uh the teams that they were associated with because I just don't know how anyone has the foresight. I mean, I know that it's you can say you can sit here and say that, uh, you know, you can sit here, obviously, and say that, yeah, OK, these five teams are probably going to make up five of the top 10 spots. I get that. But I, I you just don't know this far. Yeah. out. But what we do know um, is that Penn State almost without question, even to, even despite how low Chop Robinson is ranked here and even Caitlin King to an extent. Uh, they have uh, they go into this 2024 draft cycle with a high probability of having at minimum three day one and two picks and yep. possibly yep. three day one picks. And yep. maybe that's even the likely uh, scenario at this point, depending on how things play out. So, I mean, look, they're going to have one right unless Olu has a enormous step back, which no one's expecting or he has, a, a you know, an injury, which obviously uh, no one's rooting for that. And, and, you know, he just is going to be a first round pick. There's just no question. So, yeah, uh, you know, you're going to have one. Kalen King, by most measures, uh, will be a first round pick. But as we saw with Joey Porter Jr., not always a guarantee, even what yeah. even despite what is expected. Uh, and then with Chop Robinson, I know you think he's a first round pick. He has every reason. Uh, to play his way into that conversation. I can understand a little bit why he's lower on some people's boards than others. It's just extremely early juncture. Uh, I would be very surprised if he's in that conversation of being at that point uh, at this time next year, T. Frank. Well, I guess if this time next year, he's going to be probably drafted already. But two months prior (laughs) to today um, is what I was going for there. But yeah, so, you know, Penn State is possibly going to set a record for number of players uh, drafted from a team in the James Franklin era. I mean, it's not out of the question to think they could hit double digits next year. Uh, The previous record was eight in 2022. Uh, but if they have some guys play well enough to maybe leave school early or decide not to come back for an extra year, if it's a COVID year or what have you, uh, you know, I, I don't see any reason why this is not a record setting draft class in the making in a number of areas uh, for this program under James Franklin and just overall. I mean, the yeah. defensive back drought still exists with Joey Porter Jr. going to round two. So yeah. still first round defensive backs. Um, you know, when you talk about a top five pick, there have not been. Uh, many of those in Penn State lore. So Olufashano could be another one of them. 
Uh, and then when you talk about three players going in the first round, potentially, I mean, you know, you could have a number of historical moments made for this draft class next year. And look, we're getting a little bit far ahead of ourselves, being that it's what 11 and a half months away. But, uh, you know, it's always fun to look ahead as we get through one draft and, and one season and prepare for another of both. Yep. And I want to. So let's start with this. Rob Cheryl says um the fact that some of the guys that we expect to be a little bit higher being a little bit lower, Rob says that's because we're still pretty anonymous by the analyst standards. I, I so I know the David Pollock thing came up from what he had to say about Penn State on uh, last Saturday, but I don't think that's generally the case with these players. Let, let me make the case against some of these guys who understand where the pushback is coming from. Olu being top eight, he is six foot six, he is 315 pounds, he has put the production in, and as you saw, Paris Johnson could have gone three overall. Tackles are highly valuable, especially left tackles. So last, uh, the, the NFL draft, when some of those guys got pushed up, there wasn't, there wasn't a, 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 an effusive amount of blue chip players. Like, there were a couple guys that are can't miss players every year. Everyone calls those blue chip players. Olu's going to be one of those guys, but he's also at a valuable position. Corner and defensive end are also valuable, but when you look at Chop Robinson, he's 6'3", 253. The NFL wants these guys to be bigger. They want them to... So I know that I know that Chop is big enough, right? So he's long enough, he's strong enough, but he has to prove that to NFL GMs, scouters, and evaluators, and analysts that haven't dug into his tape because they haven't looked at him yet because he wasn't draft eligible and he wasn't right. obviously one of the best players. The other thing is that King and uh, Robinson are both analytics favorites because they track more than box score stats. So last season, Chop Robinson did not start. He, you know, it was the same thing with uh, Micah Parsons where Nick Tarburton was the starter. Chop Robinson outsnapped him and played more snaps, but wasn't the starter. He also only had only had five and a half sacks. So he wasn't near that double digit sack total. He was not a pure breakout player but when you look at when you look at the film and you're only looking at the film if you want to see you know a guy that's going to be drafted he wins and analytics they track the winning part they don't just track the box score stats pressures quarterback hits things like that and then Kalen King again 5'11 so he's not going to be a guy that has the demonstrable interception numbers or or height weight speed that's obvious that were these guys were were five star talents that everyone has been tracking the whole time now they're high four star talents and i think chop robinson probably should have been a five star talent coming out of high school but that might be why they're lower than the other guys they don't have the obvious production that is that is just you can be brain dead and go find in a box score or they don't have the measurables to make them an easy translation where you can say this stuff and feel safe you know, this is kind of safety season. Um, so that's really how I view where those guys fit. And I think you know how I feel about Chop. He's going to be the guy that rises the most. But here's a, here's another question. Is there a guy outside of those three that you think could push higher based on uh, his talent potential and maybe some things holding him back the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah. at the moment, I, I don't think so. You know, obviously, again, when you look across – uh, this potential Penn State draft class next year, you have some guys who, with a good season this year, could really see their their uh, stock skyrocket. You know, Johnny Dixon comes to mind. Keandre Lambert-Smith comes to mind. Theo Johnson comes to mind. Not as first-round picks, obviously. I mean, I, you never rule anything out. We see this every year where guys who were not on the first-round radar in May or June or July are in October, November, December. 
Yep. So I wouldn't rule that out. But no, other than that, I mean, I don't know if anyone jumps off the page at me. Obviously, you have some guys who are going to be in this conversation a couple of years from now once they're eligible to go to the NFL draft. But right. no, I think that those are a couple of the guys that, that stand out to me as potential movers. But all told, I think when all is said and done, so it depends how you define mover, right? But I, I don't always kind of stuck where he's at, and that's in the top 10, maybe the top five. So he's not going to move drastically, I don't think. If he moves right. anywhere, it'd be down, and that would be problematic for him and for Penn State because I think if he's sliding down draft boards in the fall, uh, then obviously things are probably not going well for him on the field. And if they don't go yep. well for him on the field, it's hard to see how this Penn State offense is going to go well or play at his highest level on the field. So, But no, I mean, again, I just think that overall – you have some guys like even in Adisa Isaac. I mean, there's nothing to say he couldn't shoot up the draft boards this year if he has a production productive season. Um, you know, coming off now what two years removed from that uh, ACL injury or uh, not ACL um, Achilles heel injury. So, yep. uh, you know, I, I just think that yeah, you have some guys that with productive seasons are not only going to boost Penn State forward but also boost their draft stock forward. And, and you know, then we'll get into the conversations of. Just like we did with a Parker Washington, just like we did with the Juice Scruggs, just like we did with a Brenton Strange. Should they stay or should they go? Yeah. Everyone doubted. I think not everyone, but a lot of people doubted all three of those guys leaving. And guess what? They bet on themselves and it paid off in a big, big way. Yeah. Uh, a couple guys I have in mind. I think Johnny Dixon being a corner, he's got NFL feet. So if he puts together a productive season, again, like you said, maybe not second round, but can go from a guy nobody's talking about to a guy that is a part of the draft conversation in the top, let's say, 10 corners to be conservative, maybe top seven corners to be conservative, which, as you saw, when five go in the first 32 picks, that's pretty important. Uh, but let's move on. And there's a couple guys I want to say, but I will, we'll move on for time's sake to reviewing what we saw this past weekend, the best fits and the worst fits for the guys that just were drafted, the six players that went to the NFL. Uh, who is your best fit as far as team and how you think they're going to mesh at the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look across the board here, um, there are a number of guys who, based on my thoughts about where they could go, did not end up uh, necessarily where, uh, you know, where I thought they would. But it was a very, you know, I, I'm still amazed that, um, you know, some of these guys went where they went, not in a bad way. I mean, again, yeah. one of the things that even though I don't think I hit on a single pick last week, other than maybe where Crystal would land, I'm pretty sure I said he would get drafted by Seattle, but he got yeah, you nailed that one. Seattle. Yeah, so I'm gonna yeah, give you that one for sure. Like getting a <laughs> long snapper right, like damn, doesn't matter if he was drafted or not. You picked that one really well. Well, you know, I felt pretty good about it when I saw the the things that was going around Twitter about how, you know, Pete Carroll and the GM, they were asked about what they were going to do at long snapper. And they said, ah, we'll figure it out. We don't need one. That's kind of what they were jokingly saying. And, you know, obviously, Chris Stoll was a guy that I'm sure they had in mind. It's one of those free agent signings that you can make. And, uh, you know, so I'll pick him. No, I'm kidding. But uh, he has a very good chance to make that roster and uh and start but to me you know i think that even though he fell out of day one joey porter jr to pittsburgh makes a lot of sense there's a reason beyond his name and steel city lineage that so many pre-draft yep. uh, prognosticators and evaluators thought he made sense for pittsburgh and so to me that's the easy low-hanging fruit as i told you i was going to need you to carry this segment because i don't have yeah. a great feel otherwise but i feel yeah. pretty good about that one t frank i just think that when you look at everything he can bring to that defense and everything that they do uh you know it makes sense for for him and for them that he was their day two pick and you know obviously he'll get to the steel city now and get working 
the Steelers had an awesome draft. If you look at their top three picks, like immediate impact players uh, at several positions. So, and that's also, by the way, why I wanted you to go first. So you could pick Joey and we could talk about that. Um, I wrote and I, I did a, a little bit of research. Good going hosting, to, good hosting, T Frank. Yes. <laughs> I went to, uh, you know, listen to some post-draft press conferences for players uh, drafted to teams. And one, you know, you want to hear what Terrell Austin has to say. You can check out that article. Cause I mentioned Joey and what uh, the defensive coordinator for the Steelers said about him. And I think you made a really great point there. Uh, for me, I'm going with Jair Brown to the San Francisco 49ers. And again, I go in depth as to why in that article from earlier this week, but the, the nuts and bolts is I thought they were drafting him specifically for one role. And they talked about him more in an overall sense where they want to have him be the backup and learn at a bunch of different safety positions. And to me, I think that's a huge win. That's the system, and that's kind of the 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 program that I was thinking he would fit best in that uses versatility and uses different sub-packages for him to, um, uh, to, to go through and play a bunch of different roles in that team and not just peg him as one specific thing. So I thought that was a really good. The worst fit to me, though, was Parker Washington going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We talked about this on Monday, and I went back and I listened to kind of what their plan for him, and it was exactly what I thought, which is he's going to come in and learn behind Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk has a $72 million contract that goes through the next four years with a couple void years, sure, but like we're talking 2026. So immediate impact? No. He's a fifth-round pick. That is not guaranteed on any roster. Now, if they want to use him as a running back slash receiver slash slot guy, maybe there's a role for him there on special teams and everything, and he can kind of put together a lot of things. But what his bread and butter is and what they talked about him and how they want to use him just as a slot. And they already have a couple of those guys. If you go through the fact they drafted Brenton Strange in the second right. round, there's a lot of guys ahead of him in that that lineup in the slot. So I think that that's a, not worrisome in terms of he'll never make it in the NFL, but it's going to be a hard slog, I think, for him to find snaps at the uh, at the receiver position specifically. So let's move on. We got a couple things uh, to get to here at the end of the show, but we absolutely have to get to the BWI mailbag. The BWI mailbag is open, and it's been people have been stuffing mail in it since before the show started. I mentioned this. David was up here early before we even went live. He said, Drew can make more throws than Sean Clifford. Drew Aller can make more sh- throws than Sean Clifford. So how do you see the air attack changing this year realistically? Just more shots downfield or more routes that require precise throws, etc.? Hashtag long live BWI. Love that hashtag. Uh, Greg, what do you think? Well, I don't think it's going to change in terms of now that there's a different quarterback, Mike Yurcich is going to suddenly say, okay, now we can put all of those pages we didn't have back into the playbook and we can put this brand new route tree together that we didn't have before. Now, look, again, uh, the big question here is Drew Aller starts this season, T. Frank, with very high expectations that he can do so much more that Sean Clifford couldn't do. And look, I'm not going to sit here and and debate anyone or argue with anyone about Sean Clifford and where he should have went in the draft and that the fifth round of the Packers was this or that or the other thing. But the point being is that there's a reason they took him. He knows a lot of football. Could he always do it on the field? No. 
I'm pretty sure he knew what he needed to do or wanted to do. Now, what doing those, yes. knowing those things and doing those things, two entirely different things in a lot of cases. But, uh, you know, the Packers just didn't take him in round five for the heck of it because they had a draft pick and they thought, well, it'd be a nice story if we took Clifford. No, there was a reason for it. So, you know, I don't think that because of Sean Clifford's sometimes up and down play, Mike Yersich had to delete big sections of his playbook. So, yeah. you know, can they maybe add some things based on arm strength and things like that? Sure. Um, but, you know, I'm not – if you if you're going into this season expecting to see a totally different X's and O's offense, you're probably going to be disappointed. Could you yeah. see more big plays and more of the, uh, you know, completions that maybe Penn State wasn't able to get a year ago? Yeah, I mean, certainly you could uh, if Drew Aller plays up to the hype. But, you know, just in terms of the offense overall, I, I'm not expecting to see massive scale changes. Uh, in fact, some of it may have to be reduced a little bit just because of what Sean Clifford experienced over his four years as a starter and what he had seen against the college defense versus what Drew Aller and, quite frankly, some of his receivers are going to see for the first time this fall. Yeah, I think this this question, and I'm going to answer this question along with this question at the same time. How confident are you the offense can score points in the first two to four games while Aller gets his feet wet, relying on running backs in the offensive line? I think David makes a great point of saying, is it about the frequency of certain plays? And breaking down what, what Drew did in the blue-white game, I think that there are some things that were obscured by pressure but they were obscured because of the pressure. And that's going to be like, how do teams attack Drew Aller? Are they going to make him play against coverage? Are they going to show him a bunch of exotic coverages? Or are they going to show him a lot of exotic blitzes? Are they going to show him both? And in the first two to four games, we're going to find out a lot of information about how Drew plays in all of these areas. My concern based on what I saw um, from, from the blue-white game is his seeing the field under pressure. And being able to get to the, the right read at the right time. And it's not because I don't think he can see the field. Because he's, he's shown me several times that he can. But it's quickly and with experience. So there's a couple throws, I think, of the blue-white game that I was expecting him to make. it Because I've heard and I've seen that he is good at diagnosing, reading, and throwing. But under pressure. Sometimes that changes, and that's very Sean Cliffordy. Like when we talk about Drew Aller and the arm, like it is not just about the arm. So, does Mike Yersich dial up more passes down the field? Well, is is Caden Wallace or Drew Shelton are they capable of holding up? Can they put their tackles on an island? Do they run with two tight ends or do they run with uh, three receivers? That's all these things around the quarterback are going to inform the plays as much as what the quarterback can do. And I think you make a good point, too, about we've talked about the run game a lot of making sure everyone's in the right position and everyone is uh, you're you're getting into good looks against good fronts. So all of those things are cop outs to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how the offense is going to change. My guess is going to be not much. I would not say that the offense is going to change a whole a whole lot. It's going to be about. As you said, what are you leaning on? What parts of the playbook are you leaning on more? Because those are the things Drew is good at. And they know, but we don't know at this point. That's the whole That's the whole mystery that they're trying to keep from everybody. Robert in the chat says, with the perceived jump of some of the receivers made during the spring game, do you expect Cephas, Dante Cephas, to win an outright job? And we've got a lot of people that are throwing a lot of really good questions in here, so we're going to double up some of these. Uh, I believe it's this one I wanted to get to. Yes, do you see a way where... You actually get to a six deep at receiver, as James Franklin has mentioned, and not have to have a letdown in talent and production. So the receiver conversation is still front of mind, Greg. 
do you think Dante Cephas can walk in and take one of those jobs outright um, after not being in spring ball? Well, you know, again, it kind of goes back a little bit to the conversation we had going into spring practice, T. Frank, which was that, you know, everyone wants it's almost like the backup quarterback conversation to some extent. Everybody wants the transfer guy to come in and be the savior of his position group. And maybe that will end up being the case with Dante Cephas or Malik McLean at receiver. But, you know, again, there's a reason a lot of cases these guys transfer. And for Cephas, it's going up. So it's a little bit different than the situation with McLean. But, you know, again, uh, I just think that if you if you if he comes in and passes everybody in basically uh you know a month with pads on and only a couple months of work before that uh that's pretty concerning to me yeah. uh, quite frankly i mean cuz that means your guys that were here did not put enough together during spring practice and preseason camp to win that job. And that's going to lead to long and hard questions to ask about where that receiver's room is. Obviously, part of the reason Marcus Higgins was brought to Penn State was to improve the recruiting and talent development. Um, but he obviously clearly has his work cut out for him. He has two guys that they seem like they can rely on. But, you know, again, do I expect him to win it outright? You know, right now, he comes into a room where there's not a clear number three receiver. Uh, yeah. Was Omari Evans's blue-white game performance the kind of performance that is going to win him this job in preseason camp? Can he do it consistently enough? I think that's the big question here in this conversation. If he can, then I think this is his job to lose and that Cephas will find a role potentially. But uh, so will McLean, so will Caden Saunders, et cetera, so on down the depth chart. But, yeah. you know, to me, this is Evans's job to lose. So do I expect him to win it outright? I do not. And I think, again... If he comes in now, maybe it's just a super talent. I mean, again, you look at some of the stuff he did at Kent State, it's impressive. And I think that there's a lot to be excited about. But, you know, I would also if he comes in here from Kent State uh, to a power five program receivers room with a lot of previous four star talent in it and a lot of guys who have been here for a bit or some that are getting ready to try and take the next step uh, in year two or year three. I just would be, you know, again, I think it would be concerning if he was so clearly the number three option uh, that he won the starting job for the West Virginia game. But time will tell. So the, to me, as always, there's nuance <laughs> to this conversation because it's not just one position. It's not just wide receiver. There are three different receiver positions that have different skill sets and different objectives on the football field. So for Dante Cephas and for the way that this roster is constructed, I'll start with the wild card talking about Cephas. And this is the part I don't know is like, I know he's allowed to have contact, but what does that contact mean? Has he been able to get with the playbook? Has he been able to like have conversations if he has questions about his role or what they're asking him to learn? Like how much can he learn and talk to the staff so that he's not coming in completely like from square one when he gets to campus? Because anything you can do to shorten the learning curve is going to allow him to unlock all of his veteran savvy because he is a good route runner. He is a good receiver with the ball in his hands. He can run deep routes, short routes, intermediate. He can do a lot of different things, but you don't want to overload him so that he's thinking more than he's playing. Right. I, and, and I don't know his level of intelligence to absorb information either. And that's not to say that's saying, I don't know. That's not saying it uh, put a doubt on that. It's just guys learn at different rates. Um, I, I, I would be overwhelmed by that personally, and I don't consider myself a stupid person. So let's like, take a look at uh, the Penn State roster here, because I think this is important to understand uh, kind of where I'm coming from on this. And you look at the roster here. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, we saw him in the slot a lot during the spring. Harrison Wallace, he's an outside guy. Liam Clifford, slot guy. 
Um, you have uh, Caden Saunders, slot guy. And, uh, 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 sorry, I'm, I'm floundering here. Um, Trey Wallace, outside guy. And then the rest were the guys that didn't take a step forward, that weren't part of the conversation. So to me, you've got, uh, to answer the other question about can they get to six deep, if you've got three, three slot receivers, but you've only got two and maybe three of those outside guys, I, I don't know that the answer is yes. I don't. I have a hard time saying that the answer is yes, they can get to a six deep, meaning two slot receivers, two X's, and two Z's. Now, you can move Keandre Lambert-Smith around, and that allows some of those younger guys in the slot to have an opportunity, but you're putting him in, a sl- in the slot for a reason. You want him to be there. So yes and no is the answer, but I'm still going to say leaning on no when it comes to can they get six guys at, the, at the, a true two deep. No, I think they're still going to be missing one of those boundary guys, which is what James Franklin wants to kind of put a pin and a bow on my ideas. He talked about going 80 on the outside. Break a tackle, go 80. You do that outside. You don't do that in the slot as much because there's more safeties and linebackers. So they need more of those guys on the boundary. And I, somebody's got to step up of that group. They have the talent, but I, they're all young or inexperienced or something uh, in that area. Here's an interesting question. For you, tying into our tight end uh, and NFL draft questions. Mason13 asks, with Brenton Strange joining Mike Kosicki and Pat Fryermuth in the second-round draft pick club, which tight end on the roster has the best chance to join them, Tyler Warren or Theo Johnson next year? Yeah, to me, it's Theo Johnson who has the early lead in the clubhouse. I like his production so far. I think he's been given uh, some different opportunities. Tyler Warren, obviously, has been used in a bunch of different ways so far during his Penn State career. Theo Johnson probably has, uh, or maybe even definitely has, more true tight end tape on film. But, you know, again, I think that one of the important things to remember here, and we saw it in this draft, this draft was the perfect example of this. And I hate hedging because it annoys a lot of people, T. Frank, but... I mean, again, if you went into this draft thinking Drew Scruggs was going to be a second-round pick, how many people out there outside of Houston (laughs) had a second-round grade on him? You know, we heard – remember Brenton Strange said in December before he officially declared for the NFL draft that he was getting round two to round four feedback. Drew Scruggs told us as recently as Pro Day that his feedback was all over the place. So if you thought for a second that – look, we had the story done for Drew Scruggs to get drafted – Nowhere in it did it mention um, round two. It had the option to go from day two or day three. Right. And it was, you know, mostly filled with day three stuff. But so what I'm getting at here is Theo Johnson, it would be my pick. But when you answer a question like this, you just have to note that, again, you just never know which team's going to fall in love with which guy. And it happens every year. A guy goes sooner than expected. And it's because a team fell in love with his tape, fell in love with his measurables, fell in love with him. Uh, and, and so, you know, when you're trying to put two guys together that, you know, Tyler Warren has some tremendous testing numbers. Theo Johnson does too. Uh, you know, again, it could very easily come down to if they both go to the draft, which team with which pick falls in love with one of them first. We got a couple minutes here left on the show. So if you got a question, throw it in the chat and uh, we'll get to it here in the BWI mailbag. Uh, the guy is Theo Johnson. I, I think that's pretty fair when you look at his production and you look at his usage pattern. Um, my <sighs> tight end is difficult because he has the physical tools to be a guy that is drafted in the first round. But as we've seen, the NFL doesn't draft a lot of tight ends in the first round. They typically go in the second. So does he have, is he the 
uh, Dalton Kincaid level receiver. Well, he's not a complete receiver. He doesn't run routes to every part of the field, but he is very valuable in terms of he's a very uh, he's a deep threat. He's a guy that can get down the seam and be very aggressive in certain offenses. If you see that projecting to the NFL, you're going to want that, but you can't put him out there unless he can block. So he has to take a big step forward in his blocking and then do do teams trust that? Like, do they want to see more than one year? He's going to have a one-year breakout. So I think that's the wild card is if he puts it all together, the NFL would look at 6'5", running a 4'5", with his huge wingspan and his deep receiving ability. He might even be a guy that cracks the first round. Right. That's that's like the upper end of his skill. But yeah, he could be the guy that is a second-round pick. Rob says this, great comp with Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama who are also throwing up brand new quarterbacks. Interesting to see if Drew looks more comfortable out there than any of them. And that comes down to Mike Yersich as well, of crafting an offense around the quarterback. You know, um, uh, Bill, Bill O'Brien is not at Alabama anymore. So you, the, the coordinator is, is a huge part of that as well. This will get to our last question. Um, let's go to this recruiting question from PSU Crusader. OSU, Ohio State, clearly dominant force in Ohio, but other schools, especially Notre Dame, have landed top kids there as well. With the expanding recruiting efforts on the staff, is Penn State planning to step up their efforts in Ohio, similar to what they've done in New Jersey? Or does the staff see it as a situation where their resources are generally spent elsewhere? This is a great question. I don't have a great answer to it, Greg. Do you think that Ohio can be a bigger priority Given that Penn State, it, I, you know, I don't think they have given up on Ohio. They've been offering players and quarterbacks and other um, uh, positions in Ohio frequently. It's just that Ohio State is is a pipeline to the league. Like, top players want to go there. And I don't think that's necessarily a slight on Penn State. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought Sean Fitz covered this whole topic pretty well in yesterday's S-Zone at BlueWayIllustrated.com. But, I mean, I think... One of the points he makes, and you can go over there and read the whole story to kind of gets into the full answer here. But, you know, look at this class of 2024, T. Frank. I, I mean, Penn State is dominating Wisconsin, which I don't know how many years you're going to be able to say, number one, that Wisconsin has so much talent. And number two, that Penn State is getting the majority of it. Uh, and there's a lot of factors at play there. And I, and I guess so. my biggest thing here is that. You know, you can hit, try and hammer an area like Penn State does Pennsylvania, like Penn State does the Mid-Atlantic, like it's doing yep. in Wisconsin this year, like it's done in some other, uh, you know, outside states in, in past cycles. But a lot of times there's just not a rhyme or reason to it. I know everybody wants a rhyme or reason to it or to think that you can put an added emphasis on a region or a part of a state or a state overall and make leap and bound, uh, you know, make huge jumps immediately. And you can sometimes, depending on right guy, right contacts, right schools that you need to be at, right players that you need to be at. But, you know, you can, again, sometimes I know it, it's it's such a close state that it's one that, that is easy to focus on. But, you know, sometimes you just go through cycles where you don't have connection. The players don't play at a school you have a great connection with. They play at a school where the head coach is, you know, or the assistant coach or whoever handles – uh, and helps with the recruitment, you know, maybe pushes a school A or a school B. I'm not saying that's specific to Ohio, but, you know, I think sometimes we want a one-size-fits-all answer for these kind of questions. Why don't why doesn't Penn State get more players out of A or B or C? Uh, and I just think that there are so many layers to that onion uh, that it's really hard to just say, yeah, you know, if you're going to flip a switch and, and quote-unquote step your game up in a state, 
because you have to have a lot of things go right. Keep in mind, it, you know, if you have, it's not kind of dissimilar. It's not dissimilar to the recent NFL draft conversation where a lot of teams are saying we only had 20 prospects with first round grades. Well, yeah. obviously you only have one first round pick unless you're the Dolphins and you have none, but, uh, or you could trade out of it, of course. But point <laughs> being, uh, yeah. you know, Penn State may only have, I don't know, let's just throw a number, you know, a, they have a select number of guys that they have like immediate take grades on. And yep. maybe none of those players come in Ohio. Maybe they do. Maybe maybe more of them come from Ohio in some years than others, you know. But long story short here is it's cycle to cycle, year to year, uh, prospect to prospect. There are so many factors that go into this that you can try and make an area an emphasis. Look what Terry Smith did in Philly and what Deion Barnes is doing there now. Clearly, yep. a, op, you know, uh, a similar situation, Jaywan Sider in Florida. But you know, it's just not as simple as dropping a guy somewhere and, and suddenly having immediate results. You have to have some past history, connection, things like that uh, that can really help lead the way. So I would just say this. Uh, James Franklin and his staff are very good recruiters. And they're very good at dispersing their talented assistant coaches and other people that are a part of the program uh, in ways to, fun, to land the best class possible. So. And maybe they're not doing as well as in Ohio as some would like. You make a very valid point about Ohio State and some other schools that recruit there as well. And ultimately, year to year, things can just differ uh, in ways yeah. that, that just you know, aren't easily explained by uh, just not doing a good enough job or putting in enough effort. Yeah, and the, the only thing I'll add is that you, region and proximity are important. Penn State is the, the school closest to New Jersey, no offense to Rutgers, but probably offense to Rutgers. Like they are the best program closest to New Jersey and Virginia. Like that, none of these schools are at the level of Penn State. You go into Ohio, Notre Dame's right there, and Michigan is right there, and obviously Ohio State is there as well. So proximity, region, those are all. It's a, it's a battleground. It's literally it's an overlap of all of these localities in football. Um, but you mentioned Sean Fitz talking about Wisconsin and, and breaking that down. He also has a new RPM pick at bluewhiteillustrated.com right now. Like, that is live information. So sign up to get that premium information. It is something that Penn State fans want to know. Yep. I promise you. Bluewhiteillustrated.com. And as always, like this video, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and re remember... We are international. Robert Bosfield listening from Amsterdam. So we have an international audience today. Appreciate everyone who's been in the chat. This has been a, a ton of fun. Greg, thank you for coming on the show today as well. Always a pleasure, T. Frank. Have a great week, everyone. We will be back with more information, more breaking news as it comes. There's going to be commitments. There's going to be transfer portal news. There's going to be uh, basketball news as well. So Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube, your breaking news. Another great reason to subscribe and to uh, enable notifications. So when we put that up, you get the information. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. That's Greg Pickle. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.